This is more Booze Please, 13 Nights of Halloween. We are getting so close to Halloween. I am so excited. I know. It's the most magical time of the year. What was your favorite thing that you dressed up as when you were a little kid for trick-or-treating? So, fun fact, I think I only went trick-or-treating like five times. But I think I dressed up as like a cow one year, actually. Like as a kid. I saw you as an adult cow. I was an adult cow, but not in that way. People probably think that I was like a sexy cow. I wasn't. I was not. I had udders. Not that kind of udders. (laughs) Fake udders. PG PG rated udders. There's only one. (laughs) I don't even think I had udders. I think I just had dots all over me. I'm telling a lie. I don't remember. Um, I think my favorite, actually, I can remember the story. It's the first time my dad ever took us, like, me and my sister, Halloween dress halloween dress what halloween costume shopping Mm -hmm. and i was a pirate and she was (laughs) the bag said sexy witch and my dad said what the fuck you're like 13 (laughs) no so i was like a cute pirate and she was a sexy witch and i there's photos and i have an undershirt on and like stockings Mm -hmm. because my dad was like that ain't no we tried on so many Halloween costumes that day. We forced my dad to take us to, like, a Halloween store. Mm-hmm. I've never tried on so many Halloween costumes because every single one of those got vetoed. But I think it was probably the pirate because it was, like, the one costume that I had was, like, well, I, we, what, no. Does it have to be as a kid? No. Because we had a really great group costume. We did. We went as the Mean Girls on Halloween, so it was me and Hillary and one of our other friends. Brie! Yeah, Brie was Regina, mm-hmm. I was Karen, I was Gretchen. and Hillary was Gretchen. Hillary fucking got so lucky and found, like, the best <laughs> little, like, leather cat suit thing from Walmart. Was it from places. Walmart? I don't even remember. Yeah. It was, like, I a still steal, have it. and, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. I made our, I made my costume she hillary made her ears mm-hmm. i had to make my ears i think brie made her like whole costume i think she and did yeah we made a fucking burn book we did which i forgot about the burn book where is that so great i have no idea where that thing is i feel like you have it i don't have it but wow so sad we made a burn book and us lame asses actually brought it with us to the club <laughs> and <laughs> we made people fill it out and holy shit people like went in yeah they were like fuck you so and so you cheated (laughs) on me i know you did and i'm like oh my god i don't know who you are becky but i'm sorry (laughs) like why did he do that that was probably like the coolest thing ever also we ran into a guy who was dressed up as his name damon yeah and he's like he was dressed up like in the blue hoodie and it said on his shirt he she doesn't even go here so that like made our night Mm -hmm. but that was really that was that was top notch yeah 
we got a lot of compliments that night. People being like, oh my gosh. I forgot my little crystal backwards K, but mm-hmm. it was awesome. So I think that's my favorite one. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, was a really one. long response for one question. But <laughs> no, <laughs> what was your what was your favorite thing to dress up as? It's funny that you say pirate, because when I think back to like my childhood costumes, there was one year that I dressed up as a pirate, and I think that was my favorite costume. But I never, ever dressed up as a girl. No matter what costume I was, I was a boy (laughs) in that costume. And so when I dressed up as a pirate, I made my dad paint, like, a goatee on my face. (laughs) (laughs) So there's pictures of, like, seven-year-old Hillary with, like, a makeup goatee so I could be a boy pirate because I just thought I was an adult pirate, too, not, like, sexy adult pirate. I think I remember that, too. Yeah, and that was awesome. I got my entire costume at a thrift store hmm. for, like, super cheap, and I got, like, a hat from Walmart and pinned it up to look like a pirate hat, and it cost me, like, maybe 20 bucks. Today, and I thought it was freaking hot as hell. Oh. <laughs> Today we went to Costco, and my boyfriend decided that he wants to do, like, the normal size candy bars for trick-or-treaters instead of like oh the little ones gosh so we're having to buy them those people yeah it was not my idea not my idea it's his <laughs> idea and it was his money too but <laughs> so he's made this decision and we're standing in costco looking at the different types of candy bars and i was like this isn't a lot of candy bars like he was holding like 60 and i was like you've got to understand, like, these are, like, real-size candy bars. Like, this isn't enough. I was, like, when I was a kid, if we ever found a house that had full-size candy bars, we went back to my house, and we changed our costume, and we would just continue changing our costume and going back to that (laughs) one house. There was one Halloween. Yeah, there was one Halloween when I was like twelve or thirteen, and me and two other friends changed costumes six times. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Y'all know how to play the system. We did. We did, and that's what's going to happen to me this year. It's going to be like, "Mm, this is payback. I got to go. There was a where I grew up. There was a like I don't want to call it like a rich neighborhood, but Mm -hmm. like a rich neighborhood that like you know every single house in that neighborhood had full-size candy yeah or a freaking awesome goodie bag with cool shit inside mm-hmm. and we never got to go because my mm-hmm. parents were not the type of parents that were like get in the car let's go mm-hmm. drive around they were like stay in the neighborhood be back by this time the end come home yeah <laughs> yeah be back yeah but yeah the 90s they were just a wonderful time yeah probably the best decade ever oh absolutely like my parents would just let us roam free and, like, just go trick-or-treating. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, my God, where I are said, your parents? Exactly. Once I said my parents would, like, let me roam around and just aimlessly at night, people mm-hmm. are probably like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, you know, life was different back then. Okay? And it's Alabama, so. <laughs> people probably listening to this are like, yeah, it's Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> they don't understand. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, so yes, the 90s were the best decade ever, and that's why this episode is all about the 90s. So, (laughs) pull out your bugles, 
You gotta make your witch fingers tonight. Even oh though, gosh. even though I always love Doritos 3Ds, there is not a time when I walk in my grocery store and I don't think about Doritos 3Ds. They're the best. <laughs> the best. I was trying to think of like my favorite 90s snack and I kind of had problems with it because I was like such a weird kid when I was younger. Like I was that little five-year-old being like, can I get a spinach pie and fries with vinegar? Like I was that fucking five-year-old. <laughs> fucking weirdo. We would have not been friends. <laughs> <laughs> you would like your hot dog and like corn dog and me being like, um, hello, sushi. Where's the sushi? <laughs> No. So I was trying to think of it, and the only thing I could think of was that cream cheese, like, stick thing that had, like, the raspberry sauce over it. I don't know. If, I don't know what they were called. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it was, like, supposed to be, like, a cheesecake in, like, a bar form, but it was made by the cream cheese people, whatever their name is. Philadelphia? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hillary's face when I was trying to explain that was like, what the fuck, Nick? Did you even live through the 90s if you didn't, like, have 90s snacks? Um, I mean... Dunkaroos? I do remember Dunkaroos, but also I turned five in 2000, so... But you still (laughs) could have had, like, like the purple ketchup. Do you remember the purple ketchup? Oh my gosh, yes, that was one of the things I was thinking of. Purple ketchup on my scrambled eggs is the only way I ate them. Yeah. I don't eat eggs. That's a chicken's this menstrual cycle. <laughs> this episode is just Hillary judging me <laughs> through the phone. She she stopped so quickly and was like, "What the fuck, Megan?" Do you yes, remember? I, do you remember those clear plastic house phones? And they had like the different color like wires and stuff in them. And yes, okay. I just I wish that like. We were using those right now instead of talking on FaceTime. Do you remember all, like, the blow-up plastic furniture that was really big in the 90s? Yes. Like, what the fuck? And I had, like, the lip um, phone, you know? Like, it was, like, a kissy lip. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that, too. I would have blow-up furniture now, though. That shit's comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Were hit clips in the 90s? Yes. Was that a 90s thing or, like, early 2000s? It was, like, late 90s, early 2000s. And, um... Oh my gosh, what was that, like, toy? Lose our that mind could, like, for put... five seconds of music. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a genie in a bottle. Yep. Play it again, play it again, play it again. <laughs> I'm a genie in a bottle. One more time. Like, that's all it said. Or there was something, I forget what it's called, but it, like, played, like, videos. You would, like, insert one little CD thing, and it was, like, an episode, one episode of some show. No. Dang, I don't remember what those are called. I don't remember. I don't I'll have to look it up while, while we're telling our stories. But we should probably get started. Yes. Right? I'm going to turn on my little lava lamp for this and uh, maybe talk about on the road. actually talk about goosebumps. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe maybe we should jump on to the actual topic of our our. Uh, did you ever watch the show or read any of the books of Goosebumps? Um, do you even know me? I did both. Yeah. <laughs> True. Probably. Yeah. I don't think I ever watched a movie for Goosebumps. Too much of a chicken. Mm-hmm. 
But I was trying to remember some of my favorite Goosebump stories, and I really feel like I was such a freaking scaredy cat as a kid that I really didn't read them all the way through. But I can remember of um, some, like, mannequin doll thing, or, like, whatever they're called, marionette dolls. That book. Ventriloquist? There's, like, a book. Dummy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, like, a doll. I mean... Sorry, Um, go ahead. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. There's, like, a zombie coming out of the water, like, some, like, weird thing coming out of the water. Mm-hmm. And those are really the only two. Oh, and this mask guy. Oh, yeah. I really don't think mouse. I... But the weird thing is, I have this, like, weird memory that Arl Stein came to my elementary school. And I remember like, the Goosebumps Like, in Detroit? Books. Or... Yeah, yeah, in Michigan. And I looked it up, and I found some article, and it was, like, 1999. And I was like, how the fuck do I remember 1999? And I'm like, wait, was I in Michigan in 99? I don't remember. But it was my elementary school, and it said R.L. Stein. But you had to pay for the freaking article. So I was like, nah, mm. I can't look that up. I'm not going <laughs> to click on that. But I'm almost positive. I remember, like, wanting to buy a book so badly, but I knew my mom was going to be like, yeah, no, you're not mm. reading that. It ain't happening. But I'm also like... Really? Arl Stein's books were, like, targeted towards a five-year-old? No, uh, yes That's, like, no. a weird thing for me to be, like, sitting there, like, hee, 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 I'm five in kindergarten, and I'm gonna get scared by a zombie. I don't know. Do-do-do-do-do. But anyways. <laughs> That's the song. What was, uh, <laughs> what was your um, favorite book by Arl Stein? Um, I like the one about the mask. <laughs> He's like, I have a list. Yes, there's a list. So I like the one about the mask and Slappy the Dummy were like the two. And then there was one wow. about a haunted so, house. Yep. And then there was one. one about a werewolf. And those are like Mm-mm. the four that like stick out in my mind. But I remember the shows more than I remember the books. But I did read the books. So, some history behind R.L. Stein and the Goosebumps. From 1992 to 1997, 62 books were published under the Goosebumps. Now, there were some spinels and stuff. Since the release of its first novel, Welcome to Dead House! Welcome to Dead House. That's the haunted <laughs> house. Welcome to Dead House. In July of 1992, the series has been... The series has sold over 400 million books worldwide in 32 different languages, becoming the second best-selling book series in history, just short of the book We Don't Speak Of. And it's not because of Voldemort, just because we don't speak of her anymore. Mm. Yeah. We can still live the life. No, it's over for me. It's really sad because 400 million books worldwide sold means that there was 400 million times a poor kid was somewhere in the world terrified. Probably like me, because I don't even remember it, so maybe I was so scared I've literally blocked it out of my memory. Mm-hmm. There's no wonder every single millennial is in therapy right now. Like, we've been blaming our parents <laughs> this whole time, and it's actually damn goosebumps. Freaking R.L. Stein. <laughs> Anyways, do you want to pretend you're R.L. Stein and tell us a scary story from the 90s? Sure. I'm going to be discussing the Sally House, which is in Atchison, Kansas, which is, fun fact, that's where Amelia Earhart was born in 1897, and the beginning of my story is, like, three years after that, so, kind of cool. 
because I'm going to start off by giving a little background before I actually talk about what happened in the 90s. So there was a local doctor in the town of Atchison, which is why I added Amelia Earhart, because she was probably born at that house or born, like, by that doctor, so I thought that was cool. Um, But he lived and worked in a house that is now known as the Sally House. So the front part of the house served as, like, a front office space and exam rooms for his clinic, and then he and his family lived upstairs in the house. One day, a, like, a six-year-old girl, her name was Sally, collapsed from severe abdominal pain. Mother was just really scared and rushed her to the doctor's house for help. It only took a few short seconds for the doctor to diagnose the child with appendicitis, and he declared immediate need for surgery. And if you know anything about the appendix, you know that they can actually burst, and this causes a great amount of pain, especially for a child at her age. It would almost indefinitely lead to her death. The doctor realized this and knew that time was of the essence. So the doctor began cutting Sally open, either before anesthesia had time to kick in or without any anesthesia at all. And Sally's screaming became more intense and more intense until her mother couldn't hear her at all. Little Sally died on the operating table almost immediately into her surgery. And it is believed that Sally died thinking that the doctor was torturing her to death. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is a traumatic death, especially for somebody at this age. And having this type of thing happened to you would make it hard for anyone to cross over, but especially a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine that poor Sally has some trauma and resentment because of this. The house went through multiple owners and renters throughout the next few decades. Ethel Anderson lived in the house from 1958 until 1990. She didn't report any paranormal activity during her time there, However, there was an unexplainable fire that occurred in the nursery that was never solved. They could never trace, like, what started the fire. Between 1990 and 1992, Bobby and Colleen Humbard moved into the Sally house. They had a daughter, her name was Heather, and she was often seen playing with an imaginary friend that she named Sally. Hmm. Weird. Um, mm Mm-hmm. The year that the Humbirds moved out of the house, it was rented to a young family, Tony and Deborah Pinkman. The Pinkman family moved in actually on New Year's Eve of 1992, and their family consisted of their dog, and they were also expecting their first child. So the home felt like the perfect place for them to start a family. In fact, when odd things started happening, It was almost unnoticeable or it could easily be dismissed. Things such as flickering light bulbs or phones going dead. There was an oven timer that would turn itself on and start buzzing at random hours. But the family didn't think much of it until things started happening that they just couldn't justify. Shortly after their son Taylor was born, they left for a night out of the house. The father, Tony's sister, dropped by the house while they were gone to drop off a high chair. She made a quick lap around the house to see how they had decorated it and included the nursery in her tour. While she was looking at the nursery, she noticed an odd cold rush of air, and it freaked her out so much she immediately left. 
When the pigments got home later that night, they took their baby upstairs to tuck him in. When they turned on the light in his nursery, all of the stuffed animals were in a circle in the middle of his floor, touching hands. They were very startled by this, and they called their sister. Did you move the animals in the nursery? they asked. No, I did go up there, but I didn't touch anything. I did notice there was a really odd feeling in the air, like it was cold. Do you think it's possible you have a ghost? Deborah and Tony cleaned up the animals, and they dismissed Tony's sister, thinking there's there's no way that this could possibly be a ghost. So they turned off the light and went downstairs to decompress after just what they read off as an odd incident. When they made it to the bottom of the stairs, the light turned back on in the nursery. They went back up to the room, and one single teddy bear was laying in the middle of the floor. Obviously, after the second time, they searched the house top to bottom, thinking that somebody was in the house. And, I mean, we've done that before. That made me think of us. And they found nothing. 30 minutes pass, and Deborah passes the room and glances inside. The teddy bear was once again in the middle of the floor for the third time that night. After this incident, Deborah's mother, who was friends with the previous occupants, the Humberds, who lived from 90 to 92, she called them to see if they had any odd experiences like this. And they said, as a matter of fact, yes, toys were always being shuffled around and moved. We always blamed the kids, but they always denied moving them or making the mess. They blamed it on their imaginary friend, Sally. And one of the Humberds' daughters, Heather, went on to identify a drawing that Tony Pinkman made as being her friend Sally. So they saw the same girl, and her name was Sally. They continued to experience odd things happening with the toys. Tony even claims to have watched one of the teddy bears turn and look straight at him after he called out to Sally, and he was also taking a picture at this point. He was like, hey, Sally, turn around and say hey to the camera, Mm-mm. snaps the picture, and the teddy bear, like, turned its head around to look at him. Sally didn't really like Tony at all, and it is believed in part that because her last living experience was a man, which was the doctor, was just awful, and it's possible that Tony maybe reminded her of the doctor. One day, toys were moving, and Tony just freaked out, and he decided he was leaving the house, and he was taking the baby with him. When he was buckling the baby into the car seat, he felt a sharp pain on his back. When he lifted his shirt, he had huge scratch marks going down his back. Deborah, his wife, on the other hand, really took to Sally. She was almost maternal, um... Like, she had a sense of responsibility to take care of her. She would often talk to Sally or watch for Sally, and she even says she could feel Sally curled up on the couch next to her sometimes. She bought Sally a Barbie doll and left it in the corner of the nursery for her. The next day, she returned to the room to find the Barbie doll in the crib of the nursery. But the, like... If that's not weird enough, the weirdest part about that circumstance was the Barbie was out of the box in the crib, but the box and the wrapping paper hadn't been touched. They hadn't been opened. They were still as Deborah had left them. 
So I almost feel like Sally was so nice to Deborah because she was trying to like distract her from maybe what she was putting Tony through. On the morning of Halloween, 1993, my first Halloween, Tony came home from work to find a little girl standing in his kitchen. His initial reaction was, oh my god, are you okay? Where are your parents? Then he noticed she was wearing like really old-timey clothes. A white dress with puffy sleeves. Her hair was pulled back in like a blue bow and she had really big blue eyes. When he realized what he was looking at, he dropped his glass and it shattered on the floor. Simultaneously, the little girl just disappeared. She just vanished. Over the next few months, Sally continued to get inside Tony's head. She shows up as a blur in a Christmas photo. He continues to hear voices in his head almost constantly. And honestly, Tony went a little crazy. He said the voices got louder and louder, day by day, telling him to kill his wife. He consistently had unexplainable scratches and bruises all over his body. They attempted to cleanse the house, which is a whole other story, and I think we should definitely do a whole episode on this story later on. Mm -hmm. It was unsuccessful, but I think it helped a little bit. They did end up moving, and while Tony did get some relief, he still to this day suffers physically. The family decided to stay in Atchison, Kansas, not far from the Sally's ha- Sally house. I think I read now, like, currently they live, like, one block over from the Sally house or something like that. Um, but Tony has reported waking up to his clothes being on fire, waking up outside of the Sally house in the middle of the night, having walked 10 blocks in the snow in his sleep. Understandably, the house has been vacant since 2004. They often do ghost tours and hunts, and according to, like, the website that holds the ghost hunts, they say that guests have had issues with video and, like, their investigative equipment that will just stop working in the middle of the tour. Batteries that are fully charged just completely drain like that. People have experienced moving objects. Like Tony, they've had unexplainable scratches or bruises on their bodies just during or right after their visits. People have felt physical touches while they're in the house, mysterious coldness. And there's been some instances where trained guide dogs refuse to enter the nursery, specifically. They know what's going on. They Just always like know. Gilly, when he would crawl mm-hmm. in our freaking closet, he knew something was in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This story gets intense. Like, I had to leave it's out so a lot. It's because when I'm, like, because... looking up these, like, video or these videos, when I'm looking up these stories, there's mm-hmm. always someone that, like, reminds me of, like, a TV show out there. And I get a lot of, like, things that always remind me of American Horror Story, and I know we've talked about that before. But you talking about... Mm-hmm this little girl like haunting and like another kid can see it in Roanoke there's a little Mm -hmm. girl well there's like multiple families and on top of it the family that I'm going to talk about reminds me of Roanoke as well but um there's a little girl who's like an old-timey little girl that haunts the house and I think she like loses her bonnet Mm -hmm. and like you're saying like the bow thing Mm mm-hmm so it's just interesting because I'm sure, like, obviously the inspiration for some of the stories were probably of, like, things like this. But 
it's kind of interesting how things can relate. So I guess it's time for my story. And when I was researching stuff for haunted, like stories in the 90s, it was actually really funny because one of the things I saw was like a story about failed fax machines. It just came up and it was just made me giggle because that was like a horror story was like these failed fax machines and like things being sent to the wrong whatever and it was like the first like real big time for fax machines and I was just thinking like wow the horror fax machines that's like the scariest thing they've got it's really hard for me to find something in the 90s but I finally found something and my story takes place in Black Forest Colorado near Colorado Springs so Black Forest is named for its dense trees that make up the region um, the first known inhabitants were the Ute and the Comanche Indians. The dense Penderosa pines provided them with protection, fuel, and timber for lodge poles. These tribes were displaced by the Kiowas. I thought it was interesting when I was looking it up that the word Kiowa pops up because I was talking about the Kiowa campsite in our Girl Scout story, or my Girl Scout story. So I thought that was so weird that out of all the stories I could find... Kiowa. It's like really, it's just weird. Um, so these tribes were displaced by the Kiowas around 1800 and almost 40 years later the Arifo and the Cheyenne tribes joined forces to drive out the Kiowas and become the last Native Americans to inhabit the area. The reason I picked this story, like I had mentioned in our previous episode, was because I was fascinated that this home was considered the portal to hell. I just I kind of found that interesting. So in the 90s, Stephen and Beth Lee moved into their dream home off of Swan Road. They had leased this home for a year with no issues. That's an important detail. They leased this home for a whole year and had no issues. And then they decided this place is perfect. It's like your dream home. Beth was so in love, so they were like, let's purchase it. And that's where all the problems begin. The previous owner was actually convinced that the house was haunted, but he actually never told Elise how he felt. And you might be thinking, well, why wouldn't he have told anyone? And it's actually because he was scared of judgment that he might face because of thinking that the paranormal was real. A lot of times, too, if you buy a house, I think I've discussed this in like one of our first episodes, they don't always disclose anything that's happened in the house in fear that it'll scare you off. Like, for example... I'm sure I've talked about it, but my grandparents lived in a house where a woman, well, not a woman, it was a girl, like a teenage girl killed herself, and they didn't find it until they had, like, pulled up the carpet and realized what had happened, and then, like, saw, like, a bullet hole in the wall, and, like, everything all of a sudden made sense. So, people don't really disclose stuff. There's also, I mean, it's kind of TikTok, but there's, like, a video going around on TikTok about how this woman was cleaning her carpet and she's just like doing a normal cleaning and she was cleaning the carpet and all of a sudden like this black stain like all of a sudden appeared on the floor mm-hmm. and she couldn't figure out what the heck so she started to google it and i guess blood if it's soaked into a carpet has been cleaned will like still appear i don't really know how that works but i guess crime scene cleaners also looked at the video and said yeah that's probably blood you should test that oh, with like wow. baking soda mm-hmm. or i mean not baking soda but with a hydrogen peroxide Mm -hmm. and sure enough she did the test and it fizzed (laughs) which means blood and I guess like one of the old owners actually lives behind the house or not lives behind the house is buried behind the house I mean he might be living behind the house if he's dead (laughs) ghost so anyways that all ties back to you never know what you're getting when you move into a house so do your research 
So this is from the accounts of Beth, and she says, One day we came home, and it was like the 4th of July in our living room and bedroom. We had all kinds of lights flashing through, and it sounded like people stomping around across the roof. We would lay in bed at night and hear chains rattling, and one night we woke up and heard an orchestra of music. Strange things started happening every day. This makes me think, too, of our apartment when mm. we came home that one day, and it literally looked like a freaking bomb wreck. went off inside yeah. of our apartment. Yes. Um, the two sons of the Lees said that they would constantly see weird lights and shadows in their rooms, and appliances and lights would turn on and off. The craziest thing to happen was the chemical odors that would burn the family members' eyes and throats. Although, on further investigations, it wasn't traceable. Stephen Lee, the father of the house, didn't believe in anything paranormal. I thought this was funny because in a previous episode, you said... Wait, was it a previous episode or was it this one? You said... Yeah, the last one. Oh my gosh, I'm losing my brain. You said, Mm -hmm. it's always the man that doesn't believe in anything and that becomes possessed. And here we are where the father of the house is like, this ain't real and I don't believe in anything paranormal. He felt as though someone was trying to scare the family and decided to install state-of-the-art security system with motion detectors. I'm sure in the 90s, these were like freaking potatoes taken film. Um, And you guessed it, the sensors would go off, but with no one around to trigger it. Over the next four years of living there, the security system captured 62 unexplained break-ins, so much that the El Paso County Sheriff's uh, department opened an investigation in 93 and had 45 follow-ups and never found anything happening the alarm system went off mm-hmm. so many times it alerted the sheriff's office to investigate like that's crazy the security system would capture odd occurrences like light streaks and shadows so probably like orbs and even translucent like floating faces they would see like going through the, the camera Finally, the dad admitted that something paranormal had to be happening. The hotspots in the house were the living room and the master bedroom. After becoming desperate for answers on what the hell was going on in their house, the Lees called the TV show Sightings in 1995. The crew brought in a second that they considered to be a ghostbuster. She quickly identified a threatening male spirit in the living room and at least 20 more spirits throughout the house. She said the level of activity in the house was monumental and during a discussion with the crew beth felt like someone was holding her down like holding her down on her chest at the same time one of the crew members felt something go inside of them she felt like she was actually like something went into her full body and then her whole entire body went completely numb her legs her chest her arms she couldn't feel anything She didn't start to feel normal until she was really far away from the house, and then everything was like nothing happened. Six months later, the crew decided to bring another psychic in, Peter James, who, once again, felt an immediate pull of psychic energy on the property. While walking around, James was overwhelmed with the odor of chemicals and then asked the family if they knew a Howard. Beth was shocked because her adopted granddaddy and dear friend shared that name. The more they revealed about the friend, the more the chemical smell began to make sense. Howard's son, Howard Jr., died of a drug overdose in the 60s, and his best friend was a pharmacist, and they would sneak around and do drugs together. (laughs) I kind of laughed at that, too. Morbid, it's okay. 
The house has been visited by several other psychic and paranormal experts who all agree that this house is what connects us to the other world. The closet in the master has been said to be a portal to the other side, and there's a hundred-year-old mirror in the same room as, like, the master, and the hundred-year-old mirror in the same room is an endless source of photographs of apparitions and floating faces, almost like they are stuck inside the mirror. Apparently, you can be looking at the mirror and someone can walk behind you and you turn around and they're not actually there. Or you'll be like standing just perfectly that you can see the mirror and you can see where that thing is walking and you'll never see it in like your area. So that's why they consider like this bedroom area to be the portal to hell. I hate mirrors. Um, A hoppy shaman consulted on the Black Forest hauntings reporting that the area is a rainbow vortex. Currently, there are only two other locations where photographic phenomena similar to those from the Black Forest are being recorded in London and Arizona. Today at the Lee House, doors open and close by themselves, appliances turn on and off, objects disappear are hidden, alarms go off for no reason, and shadowy figures and disembodied voices can be seen and heard. Red, yellow, and white lights can be seen, as well as apparitions of an old lady, a little girl, a burly man in the 1800s style clothing, and a flying dog. Not to mention the hundreds of faces photographed in the mirror, like I said. The Lee family still lives in this house what? today, which I find that no, to be thank you. the craziest part of this story. That they, it's almost like they enjoy no, it. No, thank you. It's like they enjoy living in this house of, like, hauntings. And it, well, that's how it was in my story. Like, yeah. the mom I felt like maternal towards Sally. Almost like the ghosts were messing with them at the beginning and, like, trying to, like, test mm-hmm. them. And then the, the Lees were like, yeah, we're not leaving. And the ghosts just come and go as they please and it didn't seem, I mean, I looked for a lot of information on this. There wasn't really, it's kind of weird because it's considered uh, the Black Forest's mm-hmm. most haunted place. But it leads me to believe maybe the Black Forest isn't as big as it might be. <laughs> and it's like literally like the only yeah. house that could be haunted kind of thing. Um, but I couldn't find any more information. So I couldn't find anything that goes into detail about like all these little things that they apparently see. But it almost makes me feel like the Lees are like, yep, saw a little girl today again. Different one. Or like, yep, a little lady came this morning. You know, she just left kind of thing. Like almost they're like, yeah, we there's a lot of things that happen and they're so used to it that it's just not reported on. And because the Lees still there today, they've got even more state-of-the-art <laughs> security cameras and there's, like, no trespassing. They don't wow. let anyone on their land. I can't believe walls. they still live there. I know. I can't believe they still live there, too. Like, every haunted story you hear about, like, anyone living in the house, everyone's like, bye. Yeah, when we lived in a, a, haunted, a haunted apartment, our first instinct was, like, we have to get out. We have to break our <laughs> lease. not okay. <laughs> yeah, we have to leave. And they're like, yeah, we'll deal with it. But maybe it's because mm-hmm. there's been nothing of, like, malice to them. You know, like, no, yeah. nothing bad maybe. has happened to them. Yeah. Like, just spooky and, like, scary. But nothing's, like, yeah, right? No, yeah. I, I mean, you call it the portal to that. hell. So, when are the demons maybe. coming? Maybe they're friends with the demons. Maybe they're demons, too. Maybe they're, like, demon talkers. They just talk with demons. Maybe they sold their, sold their soul to the devil. Maybe that's why the ghosts like him, because dad was kind of like, fuck it, I'm going to sell my soul to Satan, and he can, like, leave us alone. Well, do you want to talk about our 90s-themed scary movie? Our 90s movie that we picked that also is a little scary is Scream, and I'm mm-hmm. sure we've we've all seen it. Yeah. Heard of it, seen it. 
watched it. It's classic. Maybe seen scary movie. That's like a parody of it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Scary movies are good. They're funny. But yeah, Scream's a classic. But yeah, Scream has just a lot of 90s vibes from their clothes to the music. Yeah, I feel like if you think about a 90s like scary movie, you're automatically going to think of Scream. Mm-hmm. Just a good movie. It is. I'm pretty sure, pretty positive that they confirmed, like Courtney Cox confirmed something about her being in a... It wouldn't surprise me. Scream movie. Again. Like, she, like, posted something about Scream. Maybe it was just, like, the anniversary mm. of Scream or something, but, I mean, like, go watch it. It's a good movie. It's a nice 90s scary spooky movie. While you're listening to us, if you could head on over to our Instagram page at more booze, please give us a follow. That would be awesome. Yeah. And while you have your phone in your hand, go ahead and head over to Apple Podcast and give us a like and review. Mm-hmm. And if you have any spooky stories, mm-hmm. um, maybe from the 90s, you remember someone haunting you in the 90s as a little kid. Uh, if you've ever watched Goosebumps, if you went to Pattengill Elementary School and you remember Arl Stein coming to our school, it doesn't exist anymore. So just a 90s kid. If you've watched Scream and you love it, you know, send us an email at moreboozeplz at gmail.com. You can also head over to our Patreon slash moreboozeplease and check out the different tiers that we have to offer. Yep. And we'll see you next time on 13 Days of Halloween. Goodbye.